Hey, hey, everybody. If you're listening to this, you are listening to the first free hour of this episode of The Shift with Doug McKenty. If you like what you're hearing, please consider subscribing to the show in order to access the full feature-length versions of the podcast, as well as have access to the Members Forum, where we discuss potential topics and interviews and dive deep into the overall concept of The Shift. For only six bucks a month, not only do you get the full-length episodes, but also an opportunity to co-create with me, your host, Doug McKenty, the future of the show. Go to www.theshiftnow.com or patreon.com backslash the shift and sign up today in order to help make the shift possible. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Good morning, noon, or night, wherever and whenever you are listening, you are listening to The Shift. I'm your host. My name is Doug McKenty. This episode was recorded on April 23rd, 2020. Today on the program, I'm happy to announce my guest is author and podcaster Charlie Robinson. Charlie's podcast, Macroaggressions, covers and expands upon the many topics outlined in his first book, The Octopus of Global Control which describes the mechanizations of an elite class working behind the scenes to engineer a global control grid using the metaphor of the eight-legged octopus. Charlie describes the octopus as a predator, adept at camouflage, extremely intelligent and capable of devouring prey, while remaining unobservable by others engaged in the surrounding ecosystem. He goes on to describe the eight tentacles of control utilized by the predator class to infiltrate the popular mind and engineer a social system which benefits the very rich at the expense of the many. These eight categories of the control grid include the military, government, covert, physical, financial, media, spiritual, and scientific aspects of society, which combine to allow the very few to determine the fate of the vast majority who unwittingly choose to participate in a system that replaces natural evolution with an engineered system implemented without the consent of those affected. The book delves into each of the eight categories, providing multiple examples and utilizing quotes from the master manipulators themselves to explain who creates the control grid and how they manage and maintain a system that actually convinces the masses to build their own prison while funneling the bulk of their productivity into the hands of the elite. Charlie's second book, Controlled Demolition of the American Empire, written in partnership with Jeff Berwick of the Dollar Vigilante, examines how this control grid is being modified in the present day to include the implementation of modern technologies designed to strengthen the position of the upper classes as their plan evolves. It describes in detail how the United States is currently being targeted for demolition as traditional values of individual liberty and freedom of expression represent an existential threat to those who quest for world domination. This book covers the events of the last year as the COVID crisis has been used as an impetus for the establishment of long-laid plans for the technocratic takeover exemplified by the Great Reset and other plans currently being implemented by the billionaire class. You can find out more about Charlie's work at www.theoctopusofglobalcontrol.com. Enjoy this conversation between myself and Charlie Robinson, which not only covers the basics of the big picture narrative that will never make it into the mainstream, but will also delve into details and theories known only to the most interpretive researchers. As always, go to www.theshiftnow.com for more information about this program, 
Find hours of free content, sign up for the newsletter, subscribe for full-length episodes of the show. If you like what you're hearing, please like, subscribe, and share throughout your social media networks as we depend on you for distribution of this important alternative information. Without further ado, I'd like to thank author Charlie Robinson for agreeing to this interview, and thank you for helping to make the shift. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this 77th episode of The Shift. I'm joined today by Charlie Robinson. He is the author of The Octopus of Global Control. What an incredible book that spans just about everything you could think about when it comes to conspiracy theory and what conspiracy theory is all about. He he uh, divides everything down to eight different methods of control that the upper classes use uh, to force us all into this one large social engineering experiment that we're all seemingly participating in here, Uh, the military, the government, covert methods, physical methods, financial methods, the media, spiritual, and scientific methods. And uh, he's able to just go um, topic by topic and show through each one of these uh, types, these mediums of control, exactly how they do it. And it is just so comprehensive Uh, that I want to thank you for writing the book. It is a must read, especially if you're just getting started. If you're wondering, starting to think like, hey, what I'm seeing on the mainstream media isn't quite adding up here. (laughs) And uh, and you're thinking that there might be another way of looking at the world. This book really covers the whole gamut uh, and is an excellent introduction. And even if you know uh, quite a bit uh, about uh, the alternative way of thinking from what you're getting from the mainstream narrative, there's still uh, many, many gems of wisdom in the book. So thank you so much, Charlie, for coming on the show. How are you doing today? I'm good, Doug. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, the the book, you know, I wrote it in in August of 2017, or that's when it got released. And mm-hmm. and and some of the topics or lessons or whatever that, that we talked about there really have come in to play in the last, you know, 18 months of what we've been going through. And and it it, it uh yeah, obviously I didn't know what was coming, but but yeah. it it shows, you know, how these different tentacles uh, can operate independent of one another, and how they can work together. Like as an example, you see the the, the scientific world blending with the media world, and in, in what we've been going through over the mm-hmm. last year. And, um, and and when you get these different tentacles uh, operating in concert with one another, they become extremely dangerous. And it's, uh, you know, it's a it's a book that I think will help people understand this it get i try to get away from too much of the um you know the stain of conspiracy theorists you know and i right. I, I try to frame it in a way of like well look there's conspiracy theories about potential conspiracies that may or may not exist and those are actually kind of fun to talk about i mean I, look is is it hollow earth? You know, I mean, right. I don't know. It, it, it's crazy <laughs> stuff. You know, is, is it serious? No, not really serious, but it's fun to geek out and, and sort of think about, have that thought experiment, but whoa, what about this? Mm-hmm. But then there's the other side, which is more like conspiracy analysis. It's less theoretical. Uh, you don't have to theorize about potential conspiracies. You can analyze actual conspiracies, and there are plenty of them. Right. And the term, you know, has, was obviously it was created by the CIA after the Kennedy assassination to sort of discredit all these people and say, "Oh, those are just conspiracy theorists that are making something out of nothing," and you know, busy work for for paranoid people and all that stuff. Well, you know, to be fair, there is a segment of the population that is 
that is that, you know, but sure. But that is not what the vast majority of people that are interested in these topics r- r- really feel. I mean, they, they, we see these life-changing, world-altering events that, uh, that happen. And then we, then we get lied to by the media about what really happened. Mm-hmm. And then the government acts surprised when we want, quest- we want our uh, questions answered, you know? Well, of course. I mean, why wouldn't we dig into that? So, so it's, um, it's actually qu- kind of our duty an obligation to challenge the established narratives, to, to challenge the stories, whether it be JFK or 9-11 or coronavirus or whatever, um, and, and to get to the bottom of it and, and sift through the disinformation, sift through the lies, and, and try and find the truth there. And if you can do that, you will it's a, it's kind of like solving a mystery but it but it also will lead you on to other things that's the proverbial rabbit hole you know you go down you start getting into uh 9/11 and then from there it leads you on to federal reserve and you know Right. All these different topics. And next thing you know, it's three o'clock in the morning. You've watched too many YouTube videos in <laughs> bed. So so there there's 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 a fun part to this. There's a serious part to it for sure. And and I tried to blend the two by the format of the book is a little unique. I brought in quotes from over 500 different people that had right. uh, that were either involved in these important events or they had an interesting take on it. So you get the Rothschilds and Rockefellers and Clintons and Bushes and Obamas and all those people that you would expect. But then you also get George Carlin and Joe Rogan and Bill Hicks, and you get the some of the comedian uh, comedians that see the world a little bit differently. In fact, I tell you, the comedians see the world clearer than anybody else (laughs) they have a they seem to have a i mean if if you want to get a great history book uh the best history book would be the book written by george carlin if he were to write a history book you know it it would be way more accurate than your than your average uh than your traditional textbook so i tried to sort of blend that the the seriousness of the topics uh, and give that the respect that it deserves while also having a little bit of fun with it yeah, it, uh, it, there's it's just packed so full of information, and it gives this uh, this alternative narrative to what we hear on the mainstream. It is just amazing to me that people can be lied to over and over again by the mainstream establishment and still cling to it as hard as they do, and are are so unwilling to um, you know break through and realize that there's actually this whole other story that can be told. Um, and has been told by thousands of people such as yourself and historians and all of the people that you quote um, and, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of people who are blog writers and uh, book writers that have been writing for the last 150 years that give this completely different narrative than the one that we're spoon fed by the mainstream. Will you just to get us started here, describe your own personal story? Like, how did you did you start, you know, watching the news every night and thinking that was the truth and then come come to some realization along the path sure yeah like most people i had no reason to yeah to challenge the news it didn't no i didn't th- i mean maybe i i thought that from time to time they injected opinions into it but i and i knew that fox was sort of right leaning and i knew that msnbc was left leaning and cnn was well cnn but yeah. um that I, I understood that there was a little, they gave themselves a little bit of flexibility to skew the news to fit their narrative. But what I didn't fully understand was just how pathological 
the news media is. And that uh, came to, you know, I, 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 that didn't wake me up right away. You know, I, I, I recognized that the news was pretty flawed, but I didn't really know of any other alternatives. You know, mm. I'm talking like 2000, 2001, you know, when right. 9-11 happens or anything. So I didn't, there wasn't, you know, the alternative media in the way that it is now. I, I suppose it existed, but I didn't really know much about it. It wasn't, and, and, and 9-11 happened and I thought, well, that looks strange, but I didn't know what a building looks like after it gets hit by a plane. So, you know, I, so maybe this is normal. Maybe it does pancake down and, and all these things, but it never really set well with me. I figured there was something wrong. So I, I I got suspicious about nine 11, probably in 2004 Mm -hmm. and started to look into it a little bit more. And, uh, and that sort of evolved until 2007. I'm living in Las Vegas. I'm selling new homes. It's it's just a booming real estate market. Everything is crazy. And uh, I go on vacation. A buddy of mine gives me, right before I leave, he gives me this book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman by John Perkins. Yeah. And I read that during my vacation and I go, oh my God, this, this fills in a lot of the gaps about uh, how debt is used as a weapon uh, on a, on a, uh, on a, Plan, on a you know planetary scale, really, uh, but country by country, and how the IMF and World Bank would extend loans to these countries like Ecuador that had no business taking out billions of dollars in loans to build a hydroelectric power plant or something, and then they they fall behind in the payments because it was never going to generate the sort of revenue that they were promised, and then they they wind up owing the IMF and World Bank, and then they uh, IMF would approach the country and say, "You owe us a bunch of money, and you can't pay it," but Maybe we can work something out, you know, like any good loan shark. They want something. Why don't you vote our way in a UN resolution or privatize your fishing industry and let our buddies buy it or, you know, put let us put a U.S. military base, some 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 crappy deal that, that the uh, country didn't want but has mm-hmm. no choice because they're behind in their payments. And I was like, oh, my God, this is – so I'm reading this in 2007, and I'm seeing how banks – big banks extend money that they print out of thin air to, and, and loan it to, to countries. Okay. There's then, your, there's your rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. When, and then they fall behind, then they take back tangible assets and I'm going, all right, I'm in a smaller version of this in Las Vegas where we're extending loans to people that have no business buying ha- houses. Right. Like in, in my example, I had a guy come to, to my office get approved, you know, want to buy a house, do a contract, everything. He, a $405,000 house and he made $10 an hour. You know, he, he, he was a landscaper and good for him. He'd come from Mexico. He was, he was working his butt off and he was going to make it. He was going to, this was going to be the American dream. And I realized like we approved him for a loan. Not us. I was a, we're the new home builder, but we had a, a loan division, loan division, you know, approved him for it. And I'm like, how? And and our loan guy's like, we're never going to service this loan. The day he closes on it, we're selling it off. And they're packaging it in mortgage-backed securities. And I was like, isn't that going to blow up? And he's like, what do I care? I, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> right. It's their problem. It's Wall Street's problem. And I was like, okay, I understand that from, from our side of things. But what about the guy that bought the house? He's like, make your payments or don't. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. He's going to lose. He, he'll lose everything. And so the value of the homes dropped. These adjustable rate mortgages that they had got guys got people into, 
without explaining the details of it, how it spikes up. And, uh, and, and everyone that I was selling houses to lost them, including myself. And I thought, oh my God, what have I done? You know, what, I was a part of this game. I didn't even know. I didn't even understand it. And I, I decided that I wanted to understand the mechanisms behind this. You know, I felt like that three card Monty game where you're like, Hey, like somebody's winning. And they're like, you know, it's the, it's the guy's buddy who's pretending like he's winning and you're like, Oh, this is easy. And then you step up like a big sucker and you keep losing and you can't figure it out. I wanted to figure it out. And so I started to dig into what money was and the monetary system and how all that works. And I was like, Whoa, this is a gigantic Ponzi scheme. It's fraud (laughs) on top of fraud on top of more fraud. And I thought, well, this is, this is going to continue to destroy people. You know, and so I, as the market turned and everything crashed and people lost their houses, you know what I saw in 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 Vegas in 2010? Uh, I saw Goldman Sachs vulture funds out there buying up everything they could get their hands on. Right. You know, just buying portfolios of houses, uh, foreclosed homes from the wow uh, from the you know the bank guys, and and I was like, oh, this is the dirtiest game I've ever seen. And I didn't want anything to do with that. And it set me on this, this journey about trying to understand how the financial system works. And like I said, that's a rabbit hole that takes you into uh, the federal reserve and the federal reserve takes you into some other, you know, some, some devious things about the way the government uses banking as a weapon, as a, as a carrot or a stick, you know, and, and, and it it just it just started me down a path, and then ultimately, just a simple conversation I had with my mom, where she I had discovered you know some new conspiracy I had found out, and I was excited, and I was telling her all about it, and she goes, "Well, that's great, it's interesting, it's fascinating. You've got all this information now in your head. What are you going to do with it?" And I had no answer for that. I didn't ever think that I had to do anything with it, and so I thought, well, okay, if I've got this and and this information may explain what's really going on. And it's not to say that I know it all. I'll be clear about that. But, but you know, help people to understand the parts I have figured out. Maybe I should, maybe I should write something. So I started writing The Octopus in total secrecy. I didn't tell anyone I was doing it. I wasn't sure. I, you know, I didn't know if I'd finish it or, you know, how those things where you go, hey, hey, I'm going to write a book. And then your friends sure. keep asking you, hey, man, how's that book coming? You're like, oh, I didn't know. <laughs> I just didn't want that. So I didn't tell anybody and, and and I wanted to see how it would go. And after writing for a while, I realized, okay, I like this. I like where it's going. So then I, then I didn't tell, I continued to not tell anyone because I didn't want somebody to tell me to stop. And I was afraid that might happen. So when the octopus came out, nobody knew. I mean, my, my, my wife opened up a box of books. I was out, I, I had left, go to the store or something and a, and they delivered a big box of books. And my wife's like, what is this? Opens it up and finds all these books with my picture on the back. And she threw me out of the house for two days for <laughs> emotionally cheating on her. Wow. <laughs> I was like, she's like, you were, you were doing this behind my back. I was like, look, you know, on the scale of things I could be doing behind your back, this is really kind of low on the list. That, I gotta, I gotta classic. say, like, I understand you're upset, but like, let's put this in. Like, I could have a separate family in Utah, right. bro. You know, <laughs> so uh, that's kind. Of, so I, she's 
she's warmed up to to it, it now but but that was my that was the the inspiration for it that's sort of the things that led to it and then um when it came out you know nobody nobody knew who i was so i started promoting it i started going on shows and talking about it and getting people interested in it and that and and that's how i met jeff berwick i was on his show we got done recording and he says to me you know it's all coming down and i was like what do you mean man what are you talking about? And he's like, the system, you know, the banking system, the, it's all like a house of cards. And so, and we, from that conversation, we talked to, he said, would you like to work on something together? I said, yeah, yeah. And he said, let's write a book. And I said, okay, cool. And and so I, he said, I've got some ideas. I said, well, I got, I got a, I said, let me think about something. And I, I went off and thought about that comment that he made about how it's all coming down. And I was like, like a building, you know, like building seven, you know, like a controlled demolition. And then that led to the, so then I wrote out this, I said, I got an idea. What if we did this book and framed it like you were taking down an actual building? And I sent all, I sent this outline, this, you know, 10 page outline and everything. I sent it over to him and I get like a one sentence response. I like your idea better. <laughs> that <Yeah>. was it. <laughs> so, so we started, that was the second book that came out. So, so that's, Great. that's how I got into it. It wasn't, you know, I'm not like a classically trained writer. I'm a real estate agent. Um, and, but I've, but I've got a snarky sense of humor and I've got a, 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 a an under, I developed an understanding about this stuff. And the octopus symbology wasn't mine, of course, that that's been around for a long, long time. In fact, there's a book, uh, by Danny Castellaro called the octopus that, that got him murdered for it. And at, when he was 44, when it came out and I released mine when I was 44 and I thought, Oh geez, man, I don't know if I want to yikes, you know, maybe, maybe we could just end the similarities there. Right. But I don't wind up in a bathtub, you know, with my wrist slit. Suicided. Um, so that's really, that's where it came out. And I thought about the, this octopus idea because there's a, there's a quote in the book from, from a guy named John Francis Highland, who nobody really knows who that is, but he was the mayor of New York City in 1922. And he wrote about the sprawling, this giant octopus with its sprawling tentacles. And he said, to escape from mere generalizations, let me define that as the Rockefeller Standard Oil interest. And he described it as this octopus that had its tentacles in the courthouses, in the media, and the banking, and industrial. And, 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 and I was like, that. And, and you read the whole quote. It, which is like three paragraphs long. And, and if you don't know, if you don't read the, at the very last part where it says 1922, you would think that this guy was talking about last week, you know, everything was, was identical. And I was like, wow, it's like a hundred years ago. Yeah. And his description stands up, you know, it's, it's as accurate today as it was then. So, so nothing has changed. And, and this octopus metaphor is great. It's great for describing this because you've got a, an animal that is really smart and extremely devious. It has the ability to camouflage itself. It has the ability to change texture. It can spray ink and disappear, or it can stay and fight. It has a hidden beak underneath that'll rip you to shreds and you don't see it coming. So, um, all of the components that of this octopus is really smart, intelligent, devious creature kind of fits when you when you look at the way this this government is structured. David Icke will will call it the spider and the spider's web. I think that's a pretty accurate metaphor as well. But but I chose the octopus and uh I think people 
I think people get it. You know, I think when they they see that and they, and, and then the the book, the cover of the book, the the logo of the book, this kind of cartoonish octopus that is sprawling over the the world, that is a logo that I borrowed borrowed from the National Reconnaissance Office, uh, NROL-39. That is a satellite that they launched with that logo on it, different colors, but that logo is on the satellite. And the writing above the top and bottom of it says, nothing is beyond our reach. And it was a spy satellite. (laughs) And I thought, oh man. So um, so it's, I'm not the only one that thinks that the octopus is a, is a, is a, a good way to sort of sum up what these people are up to. Well, and I'll just let my audience know too, the new book that you've come out with uh, Jeff Berwick is the controlled demolition of the American empire. And that um, is covering more specifically uh, actually this, uh, what's going on now with the coronavirus and everything. Um, But the initial book, uh, the uh, octopus of global control really gets into the history of of what's going on. And it is fascinating to realize that this has been going on, I mean, for at least a hundred years and you go back into that time period and you find the same quotes and you find the same, you know, conspiracy theory uh, authors writing at that time, pointing out, look, this is how these guys are taking control. Yep. And it's what's so fascinating to me at this point and kind of what I really want to delve in. I mean, you've got these eight methods of control here, but what's so fascinating to me, especially as this coronavirus lockdowns and all of this, I mean, and everything I was reading, even though, as you said, it it came out in 2017 before all of this, I mean, clearly each one of these methods are are being, you know, 100% used right now to promote what the... uh, what the those at the top of this hierarchy want right now um and so you can just take all of your examples and you can see exactly how they were they're being applied to the coronavirus yeah. psychological operation which is i mean which is where i've been going with all of this actually if there's one overarching concept that i'm starting to to place is that's our whole life is basically one big psychological operation that we're literally indoctrinated into this worldview that has nothing to do with reality. And yet it's so ubiquitous in our culture that most people just fall right into it. And they just simply can't believe that, you know, if you go down the rabbit hole, then you're going to find this whole other narrative that actually makes a heck of a lot more sense than the stuff that you're being fed by the mainstream media. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this, they, they have a, there's a psychological component to this that they've, they've really studied. I mean, they understand how they don't always get it right, but they, but they understand how, how fear works on people. They, they use the media to, uh, to, to shape reality and, and create narratives. They, they use the medical industry to do the same thing, obviously pump out a lot of fear. And, um, and then there's a shaming component to it as well. Mm-hmm. They, they've learned that anyone that gets out of the established narrative talking points and gets a little bit off to the left or right, they know how to bring them back in the line by uh, by shaming them, by calling them conspiracy theorists, by by uh, you know uh, you know identifying the things that that are important to them and and going after them in, in order to get them back on the reservation and talking about the things that they want them to talk about. And so if you stray from, I mean, don't underestimate social peer pressure. It, it, it's really a, a huge right. component of this. And then you take 
institutions and, and America was sort of late to the game on this, but, but the Tavistock Institute in the UK is really the culture factory and they, they shape reality as well. And they, they use a combination of, of, of public media figures, uh, the media platforms themselves and, uh, and repetition and, and, and psychological, uh, anchoring and things like that. And, and, and they can take somebody and, 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 that would normally not, you know, not that might not uh, fall in line so easily. And if given enough time, they will show you how, you know, they will make you comply. And then you see all these Milgram experiments and things like that, you know, where, yeah, you, yeah. where, where you start to see just how, you know, just how docile America or uh, people in general, but Americans in, in particular will be, when faced with somebody they perceive to be in an authority position, uh, whether it's they're wearing a, a, a military uniform or a police uniform or a doctor's lab coat, you know, there's something about that that like we get we get trained to sort of view that as authority and and truth and and whatever. And I saw this playing out where where I could. I mean, when you study this stuff and you spend time reading about it or learning about it, after a while, you get really good at spotting it. You know, you get good at pattern recognition. And when mm -hmm. they started rolling out the the clap for the doctors, clap for NHS in the UK at eight o'clock, everyone go on their balconies and clap. And they started taking making nurse statues and things like that. I was like, I can see exactly where this is going. They're deifying these people because these are the people that are going to be coming to give you the mandatory vaccine. And so if you put them on a pedestal, doctors and nurses and things like that, well, then then you're not going to be able to question them when it comes eight months later, when when the rollout comes of the vaccine, you're going to see right. them as heroes and, and people above you. And I even took it so far as to say, you know, at some point we may get to we may get to a, a situation where when, you know, when you're getting ready to board an airplane and they say, you know, families traveling with small children under two, uh, people in wheelchair assistance, active duty service members, and also doctors and nurses may please board first. You know, I could see that coming at some point. It sounds a little ridiculous, but, right, but sure. it's, it's, it's putting them up on a, on a level that is above everybody else. And if you're above everybody else, it makes it just so much harder for the average person to say, no, I'm not doing what you say. You know, some nurse or doctor says, you got to have the shot. You got to have the shot. And for somebody that isn't a doctor to have this belief, I don't want that shot. You may, you may be for, I mean, you may be a little wishy-washy if it comes to, you know, if you're not totally solid in your position, simply because you see them as an authority figure, you may go, well, I mean, they wouldn't do this if, if they didn't think it was right. And I don't really want it, but whatever, you know, so, so that psychological component to it is extremely valuable. And of course the media's role in this and Fauci's role and all this. And so, so you see how, when it comes to an event, be that 9-11 or coronavirus or, or whatever, the you can you could see you can sit back and watch as they build the narratives how they do it the uh the tactics that they use they're not very creative they use some of the similar ones over and over again which is why it's easy to spot when when something is uh, seems a bit uh inauthentic you can sort of 
you can you can figure it out you can see it or or they they take it you know they do use a tactic that they used before like an invisible enemy you know like terrorism we got to stop terrorism terror 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 around the corner terror terror right. you know in george bush you'd see those compilations of people where you say terror 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 you <laughs> yeah. do it like what weapons of mass destruction yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's like same thing covid 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 visible enemy an invisible enemy that's going to get you get around this corner it might your dog it might get your grandma you know and it's like when you have lived through the 9-11 psyop the way the media did that and then you see the corona ones you go "Ooh, this is like a venn diagram where there's a lot of overlap here you know yeah right well i mean um i just want to go back to you mentioned the milgram experiments and that was where the guy in the white lab coat basically told people you know turn turn up the dial on the electric shock and they could hear the guy they'd press the button and and then the doctor would say, okay, turn it up another 20% and then press the button and they'd hear the guy in the other room screaming from the pain, but they would keep doing it over and over again because the guy in the white lab coat told them to. And that oh. was just, and, and that's, I mean, God, I'm like, what is going on? I, I think we can, maybe we could talk about public education, yeah. uh, that people have become literally indoctrinated with this belief that they have to listen to the authority figure and they're not making choices for themselves. And, and what, it, what has happened is exactly what you're talking about, the peer pressure then, it's almost like if you break from that, if you say, well, I don't trust that authority figure, I'm going to make my own choice for myself, then you become public enemy number one. I've seen the meme about the masks that is mm-hmm. like when... When people are screaming at you because you're not wearing a mask, they're not screaming at you because they're afraid they're going to catch COVID from you. They're screaming at you because you're disobeying. So mm-hmm. there, there's something going on here, the psychology of it all, that's getting the population to, to self-police. To, we're building our own prison, and then enough of us are self-policing that these guys... I mean, if you think about like the octopus, is it's just so brilliant. How did they do this? They convinced most people to be the policeman for them. Yeah. I mean, maybe we could even, we were talking before the show about Nazi Germany. We could tie it into all of that because clearly this is what's happening again. I mean, you know, the population is, 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 it has been indoctrinated into a belief system where they are promoting this totalitarianism, uh, no matter how bad it is for them. They're going to keep doing it because it's yep. something is is happening psychologically here. Yeah, and there's also another experiment, and I forget the name of it, where they take a group and they split them up into two groups. They say you're the prisoners and you're the guards. Right. The prison, the Stanford prison experiment. Stanford prison experiment. Yeah. yeah, and and what they realized was that the people that became the guards very quickly took on the role of guard. You right. know, like started acting like authoritarian uh, pricks, and 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 so that is the mask Karens out there. That's right. those people. They want you to do, you know, and you can't have a, a, a decent and, or logical conversation with those people. You can't say, Hey, you're mad at me for not wearing a mask. If I'm not wearing a mask, am I going to die? Shouldn't you want me to, what, what difference does it make? If I'm, if I'm not wearing a mask, if oh. you're so you're wearing a mask, so you're protected. What do you care about me? What do you care? And like you said, it's not that I'm not wearing a mask. It's that I'm not doing the things that they're doing because they don't have the guts or, uh, to, to break ranks and, and, and think for themselves. And so because they can't do it, they, and when they see somebody else, it makes them feel bad about themselves because they know, well, I, I could never be that person. So those people shouldn't exist because since I can't ever have the guts or the, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 
free thought, free will to, to do my own thing, uh, then, then I'd rather just not even know that those people exist. I'd like for them to all go away. So, uh, the, the idea of, of, of us, you know, people always said, well, you know, then, you know, if I was alive and living in Germany in 1939 and the Nazis came to power and did all that stuff, like I would never be a part of that. Maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. But after 2020, what we saw was that I think it's safe to say the majority of people would fall in line rather quickly because they did. They want to be a part of a group. They don't want to be outcasts. They believe the propaganda. And what mm-hmm. we're getting is straight propaganda legalized uh, by Obama in 2012 in the Smith Modernization Act, which legalized propaganda inside the United States. So, right. so we are getting propagandized. Uh, so e- there are some so- similarities when you look back on, on Nazi Germany and you go, God, you know, they, they really did a number on these people. They brainwashed the whole population. How did they do it? Well, they did it how um, Hermann Goering and, and, and Goebbels talked about it. They say, just denounce the pacifists for their, uh, for their uh, opening up Germany to potential attacks, demonize them, and let the public do the work. You know, let the public uh, take care of that for you. They'll shame them right out. You know, they'll, they'll, right. they'll say, you're, you're putting us in harm. You're, you're exposing us all to harm by not getting on board with us in, in, in this Third Reich thing. So right. you've got to go because uh, if it, it you know, it, it, you're going to get us killed because you're not on board with this. You, your, your, your lack of uh, hatred towards these other people is going to be uh, your, our all collective undoing. So you see how the power of groupthink and propaganda and, and, and deity figures like Fauci, and Hitler, you mm-hmm. know, and I have no problem putting them in the same category. I know they've done sort of different things, but uh, but the, these people that rise to power seemingly out of nowhere and everybody just instantly bows down. I I felt like after 2020, I was really disappointed with the with the American public in general. They just yeah they outsourced their critical thinking to the media and to Fauci and to Deborah Burks and to Bill Gates and to all these people that they don't know. They don't know them. You don't know who Bill Gates is. Oh, he's a Microsoft guy. He's rich. Why would he, why would he tell us anything uh, other than the truth? Well, I mean, I could, <laughs> I've done a full, I've done several episodes on that on my show. So I, I yeah. can explain very clearly why he would do all those things. But, but it's, it, it really is, has been disappointing, but fascinating too. I mean, if, if, if we, it's, it's such a severe and serious uh, situation we've gone through in 2020, uh, and, and I don't necessarily mean the deaths from coronavirus because I think the death numbers are vastly inflated. But I mean the the damage that's been done financially to 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 the to the economy to to psychological well being of human of, of all of us to kids all that you know hard impossible to quantify. But if you looked at it as like a interesting psychological experiment totally fascinating how quickly this worked and how how uh organized it was and yeah there there was some disorganization but but they got the vast majority of the of human beings in north america to lock themselves in their house for months yeah that is voluntarily yeah what a yeah voluntarily and and i had a conversation right when this kicked off it was um 
I think it was March 17th. I had a conversation with James Corbett and uh, he wound up, you know, using a clip of it in, in a documentary that, that he did. We were talking about uh, martial law. I, and I, we were saying, what if it was like the best way to impose martial law was to, to impose uh, medical martial law and then roll out a, a virus because then nobody could be blamed for it. It would just be yeah. a natural occurrence. So you could, you could, there's plausible deniability there. And the best way to get everyone to get in their houses is not to have troops on every street corner but to get people to voluntarily and want to do it themselves. It's actually quite genius if yeah. you think about it. And we, we didn't even know at that point. We were two weeks in. We didn't even know how on point we were with that conversation. Um, but that's what wound up happening is that this medical martial law rolled in to town. And then he said an interesting thing too. And he goes, I almost don't even want to say it and put it out into the universe to give them ideas. But he's like, I'm sure they've role played this already. But he said, what if they lock us that, you know, they, they run this thing and, and everybody locks down. And then after a couple months, they lift the restrictions and go, okay, everybody go back out about your business. And then you go out into the world and you go, well, that wasn't that bad. I watched Netflix. I got caught up on emails. I, you know, I did, we, we played, we made jigsaw puzzles with my family. That wasn't that bad. And then the next time they go up, oh, it's time to lock down again. And you just march right in going, oh, yeah. this will be no problem. He goes, but this time they never let you out. And I went, oh, God, James. <laughs> well, and I don't know if you've seen the, the horrifying scenario. Right. But look where, where we are now. Yeah, absolutely. Lockdowns again and in some countries and, and, and state by state, same things. And you go, I would never do that. And then you see what's happening. You think, right. <laughs> A lot of people would, though. A lot uh, of people would. David Icke has come out with uh, like a uh, they did experiments during the Vietnam War back in the in the fifties and sixties. The CIA were doing experiments on on prisoners of war. How do you get them to break? And it one of the like the the list was like you give them you lock them down and then you give them what they want for a little while and then you lock them down again and you could just go down the list and you could see where they're just they're applying this you know, to the entire population right now. They're like giving us a little bit and then locking down some more and then a little bit and then locking us down even harder so that they can like do the old totalitarian tiptoe thing, right? Yeah. Where they get us used to it. And, and then we're just more and more, we're just used to doing what they say. It's, that's what's so fascinating about all of this. And, and what's even, I mean, I'm trying to get to the, the way they use all these methods of control all at once, like how can, you know, there's always the question, like who are the, the, the they mm -hmm. and, and how have they gained so much power? I think it's hard for people. What's hard for people to believe. And I think you and, you know, you and I can clearly see it because once you see it, you can't unsee it, right. but how do they get the entire media to work in concert to propagandize the way they do? How do they get the entire medical establishment yeah. you know, to, to work in lockstep together. It's just so fascinating that this, you know, a small group of extremely powerful people have managed to create over the last 100, 150 years or so, you know, this system of complete control that can, that has people hypnotized essentially yeah. indoctrinated into a reality that's not actually real. It's well, fascinating. you, you actually use one of one of the words you used is is one of the ways they do it lockstep. 
There right. is a program that the Rockefeller Foundation put out in 2010 called Lockstep, and it was it was detailing a very similar scenario than what we the than what we went through in 2020, and and how you control the flow of information and the medical information is that you you consolidate the media into into larger conglomerates so that there's fewer and fewer people uh, fewer people that you need to control you know in the 80s there were 50 media companies now there's five and, and yeah. big conglomerates right and so you 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 have them at events like Bilderberg and Council on Foreign Relations meetings and the Atlantic Council and all these high-ranking people that, that are on the boards of these media companies or running them, uh, they're at these meetings. They get their marching orders. They are told what the plan is. They are told what they're talking about years in advance, which is mm-hmm. the reason why Anthony Fauci can come out in 2017 and say something on camera like Donald Trump is going to have a pandemic during his administration and he's not ready for it. So so there's plenty of advanced knowledge. It's not conspiracy theory. It's conspiracy fact. This is, this is out there. These guys have been talking about this for a long, long time. So you can do that uh, by grouping them all up and in, 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 you know, clicking them up into into bigger groups and then controlling the the boards of directors of those big groups, and that yeah. that clearly happens. And in big pharma, in the case of big pharma, you get all of them. You start giving them money for uh, like Bill Gates does. He goes he does this with the media and with big pharma. Takes millions and billions of dollars and sprinkles it around to lots of different organizations. Now, if some guy is just giving you $10 million for your media organization, it's kind of hard to run a story about what a bad guy he is. So he buys silence that way. And in the medical community, he's buying science there. So so people say, trust the science, trust the science, trust the science. You got to trust the science. Right. Okay. Well, what science are we talking about? Are we talking about bot science? Because I don't trust that. Or are we talking about actual science? You can have actual science that's doing great things. Uh, in the in the big pharma community, you could be working on some really important technologies that are saving lives and having amazing effects. But you can also have real problems with the vaccines. And, and, and Bill Gates has spent a lot of money on the vaccination program. Mm. So when the agenda comes up, uh, you know, when when you run Event 201, which is a simulation happening in the end of October 2019, not 2020, but before the coronavirus, and you have the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Johns Hopkins, and the World Health uh, uh, the World Health Organization, and the um, uh, World Economic Forum involved yeah. in this sim- simulation, and the simulation. Uh, runs a scenario about the outbreak of a coronavirus that sweeps the nation or sweeps the world, shuts down all of the economies, throws people in, you know, throws society into chaos. 65 million people wind up dead. And then the only way it gets out is through a vaccine program. And then six months later, that thing starts to roll out in real life. It is reasonable to say, how did you get that so right? Yeah. (laughs) And then you say, well, is this the only time they got this right? You go back and you find the SPARS document from 2017, which details a simulation of all 
almost the same thing down to social media influencers in the rap community telling everybody to get the vaccine using hashtags vaccines work that are literally used this year by run dmc with their cartoon vaccination programs hashtag vaccines work right so then you've got lockstep then you've got crimson, crimson contagion and you it's like how many simulations do you have to see simulating an event that winds up happening just like they role played it before you realize that this is maybe not as organic of an event as we are led to believe and so the question then once you realize that it's like okay this is planned this is not happening accidentally. Where are they taking us? It's yeah. is it is it the vaccine agenda? Is that the end game? Is there something else going on? So it's um, you know, look, it can it can be a bit dark to be honest with you. You know, you go down. It's important for us to to think about these things and to know about these different uh, simulations that are out there. Because look, it's 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 really hard for someone to 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 watch the event two hundred one simulation. And not think that what they have seen is a blueprint for 2020. I mean, it's yeah. very difficult to, to get any sort of uh, understanding other than that. That this is this was a made to happen event. And you go, well, well, and and then the the vast majority of people, that's where you lose them because they go, wait a second, you're trying to tell me that these people made this happen? What kind of psychopathic man? This is that's crazy. That's conspiracy theory. And you go, look. I acknowledge it takes a certain kind of psychopath to role play this, to plan this, to unleash this on humanity. But that's what these people are. You right. know, like I would never do that, Doug. You would never do that. The audience, they would never do that. We don't think like that. We would never, it would never cross our mind to do that. Even if we, even if it did, we don't have the power and the money and the influence to, to make it happen. Mm -hmm. But these guys do. And, and it's, and they see the world very differently than we do. And so it's important for us to kind of get into their heads. You know, the way they see us is we're taking up a lot of extra, we're, we're taking up too much space on their planet. That's how they see us. And, and it would be best if a, a large percentage of us just went away. And, and that, of course, the first time somebody suggests that to you, you go, get out of here. That's, that's crazy. And you go, whoa, 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 whoa. don't take yeah. my word for it read their books. They talk about it. They tell you what they're going to do. <laughs> they, they brag about it. They, they, this is not a secret. It's secret to us. Cause it's obviously not on the, on the nightly news, you know? And so there's, there's so many layers to this that it's, it's really kind of hard to get your head around it. But, but the, I think a lot of people out there make a very dangerous assumption. I understand why they do it, but they make a very dangerous assumption. They say, they think if this was really happening or if you know if this if this was a planned event or if vaccines are really dangerous we'll use this as an example if vaccines are really dangerous surely i would have heard about it on my nightly news yeah. and since i haven't heard about it on my nightly news it must not be a real story because right. this would be a big story that they would want to cover and since they're not covering it it probably doesn't exist and you guys are probably being paranoid anti-vaxxers. What they don't understand 
is that 60% of the ad revenue for the mainstream media comes from big pharma who's making and selling the vaccines. It it is all connected. Like they don't believe that it is, but when you look into it, it is all all, the guys on the board of directors are all members of the CFR. They've all been to the Bilderberg group. I mean, they're saying like, Oh, there's no way there's a conspiracy, but you can actually go. Yeah, there is. Here's where they go. Here's where they conspire. Here's where they figured it out. Here's where they've got the, you know, these, at the Bilderberg group, there are members of the, from the, from the financial, from the, from all eight of your methods of control. You know, there are representatives there where they're clearly colluding and now the world economic forum, right? Which is like Bilderberg 2.0. And you can show like they are colluding to put this together. I thought just to go back to Bill Gates for a second, I mean, the work that, uh, that James Corbett did, exposing bill gates it was phenomenal his fingers were in every piece of the pie he he created he you can look at it and you can be like oh he funded a pandemic here he funded the world health organization he funds the media he funds the vaccine industry he funds the whole thing you can look at it it's like wow one guy really can have that much control it's it's yeah. fascinating once yeah. you see it it's just most people don't see it and they can't they they can't imagine that it's all connected that just yeah. you know or they go or They'll say something like, well, Johns Hopkins, uh, you know, medical center is involved in this. Yeah. Like that's a reputable hospital, you know, organization. Right. They, they would never do that. It's like, well, you, you know who ran the Guatemala syphilis experiment that gave them the Guatemalan <laughs> right. syphilis was the, was Johns Hopkins. Uh, they're not, you know, who ran the SPARS uh, scenario was Johns, Ho- Johns Hopkins. Yeah. They're not innocent bystanders here they're co-conspirators yeah once and you see they always go like to the same organizations it's always johns hopkins it's always going to be harvard yale mit right the tavistock institute or london school of economics right where or the imperial uh college College. in london where they got all that and where they're getting all the and it's always the worst science and then the mainstream media only promotes the worst science oh my god there's one paper came out said asymptomatic people are carriers right and they don't mention the other 20 papers that say well that's probably not true it doesn't look like asymptomatic people and the media just runs with the one scientific paper and then everybody believes that's what science says which is another like we can see where they're colluding and they're putting it together. But then this psychological aspect, you get people pumped full of fear and then you fill them full of this propaganda where they think the science clearly says this. Yeah. And it's not actually what the science says. It's so, it's so frustrating actually to try well, that, that communicate. document that we were talking about before we started rolling. Mm-hmm. It was the, 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 the document said that, that in order to run a psychological operation on people, if you expose them to constant and nonstop unrelenting fear for 60 days, you, you will at that point put them in a state that from, from then on any new accurate real information that you show to them will be disregarded. They won't, they won't ever believe right. it. They, they will stay in that set, that state of fear about that particular thing. And it's like, that is, that's fascinating. And yet that is, that is totally happening. I mean, we see that after two months of being locked down, you can, you can say to somebody, you, you, you can, you, you can use, they'll quote the CDC for why they need to be afraid. And you can quote the CDC on things that they said, a reason to, for them not to be afraid, and they will dismiss it. Yeah. You can use the same source. And, and, and you, they, they'll say, we've got to wear masks, got to wear masks. You know, the CDC says to wear masks. 
Well, did you see the CDC report that says they are 1.32% effective? They go, you got to wear a <laughs> yeah, mask. Like, I know. I'm, I'm giving you the, I'm giving you the excuse that you need. You're, qu- you're quoting the CDC yeah. to tell me why you need to be fearful. I'm quoting the CDC telling you why you don't need to be. And you want to, you, you want me to leave. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's so maddening. And, and I have gotten to the point now after, you know, a couple of years of being in, you know, talking about this and then the last year of dealing with, with this sort of in reality, the, the COVID situation where, you know, I, I'm willing to talk to, if somebody has questions, concerns, about something wants to get an unusual opinion about this. I'm more than willing to explain to them, take the time and talk to them about all of these things. And that, that you and I are talking about, but if somebody wants to tell me I'm stupid and I'm dumb and I'm anti-science and I'm a conspiracy theorist about what's going on because they watch CNN and they've got a different version of I'm not willing to have that conversation. Yeah, it goes I'm not no willing hard. to in- invest my energy and time. You go, dummy. Go on. You go yeah. do your thing. Then we'll see how it works out. I mean, I, I'm, I am, you know, I'm finding myself being a little bit uh, losing my patience for that stuff, or pri- maybe prioritizing my energy and, and and using that to focus on people that really want to break out of this, not people that are looking for reasons to stay in it. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I'm getting to the same place. It it seems like it's actually kind of time for those of us who have this political persuasion that kind of see through the BS to, to coalesce together and do what we can to strengthen our own community. And that's where I've been going with it, because uh, you can argue till the cows come home with somebody, like as you're saying, we talked a little bit about NPR, uh, before the show. And if you're listening to that kind of news and you believe that that's accurate, then, uh, and you're not going to listen to any kind of alternative perspectives, no matter how many primary sources we can put in front of your face, uh, it's really not worth it. Somebody's got to be open minded. There's got to be some crack in the wall, right? Yeah. <laughs> before the information can start to get, get through. And it, it is psychological. I mean, I started doing, um, I call it the psychology of lockdown series. And we just talk about the things that trigger and the, and the character uh, characteristics of what happens to people who get triggered into the fear state. And then we'll get triggered in because it's actually, it's very similar. uh, The authoritarian government is very similar to the family psychology of the abusive father figure. Right. Yeah. And so you can actually like plug it in and go, Oh, you know, if you've had an abusive father, then here's going to be your psychological issues. And then you look at the entire culture and you go, yeah, that looks like that's pretty much what's been going on here. You know, we've been abused by government authority. They're taking advantage of us. And, uh, but everybody's, you know, everybody's been, um, has their, their, their psychological, um, Oh, the characteristics that just, you know, that, that keep them in denial about how serious the abusive issue is. Yeah. We're in an abusive relationship with the mainstream media too. Yeah. You know, it's like, he hits me cause he loves me, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's that sort of, they're, that the, sort they're of, the gaslighters of the, of the, uh, of the upper classes really. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, 
So it, it, we, we have to, you know, so a lot of people are in unhealthy relationships just in life in general. And so yeah. maybe, you know, having an unhealthy relationship with their government isn't even that m- much of a stretch. Maybe it becomes natural right. to them or easy to them, or they, they want that or, or something. But, but I, I, I don't, I, I am not interested in, um, participating in this madness, uh, at, at all, or certainly right. any longer than, than I have. And I'm feeling like I'm a, a bit, well, you know, obviously in the minority here. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people like the fear. They feel like it gives them a purpose. It gives, they have the ability to become important for once in their lives. And they're going right. to be important because they're going to, they're going to do their part to stop the spread of this deadly virus, a virus so deadly, you have to get tested just to know that you even actually have it. So w- they're going to do their part. They're going to shame you for not wearing the mask. They're going to wear two masks in their car and one on their dog when they're walking their dog, you know, they're going to, they're going to do all, they're going to take Fauci's advice to the nth degree and do mm-hmm. even more because then they feel like they're on the winning team and they feel like they're doing something noble and important and it gives them purpose. And they see you as the opposite of all those things. You're, you're the enemy. So they direct their rage from their, you know, uh, boring existence. You know, they, they, they bottle it all up and direct it at us. And it's like, you know, I feel like I'm trying to help you. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm I'm tr- I'm trying to tell you things that'll make you feel better. Right. Like I'm trying to say this isn't this isn't you know like people say well uh, half a million people are dead and it's from this in 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 America. And I go well when that number came out when that the first time they announced that death number it was 169,000 that was last August of, of 2020. And, uh, you know, it's like, did you, did you read the full article? Because on the last, in the last paragraph of the article, it says of the 169,000 people that died, 6% died from coronavirus. The other 94% died with coronavirus and on average 2.6 comorbidity conditions, which could have been heart attack, cancer, car accidents, all these things. And so you go, oh, wait, so 160, that's, or that's 10,000 people or 500, then it became the $500,000 or 500,000 people figure. And you go, that's, that's 30, that's 30,000 people. Not to be disrespectful. Every life is valuable, but it's a statistical insignificant number uh, to to have 30,000 people die from, from something in the United States yeah. over the course of a year. It's just, it doesn't millions, you know, 2 million people die every year. So it's not even, it's not even on the, on the top 10 list of killers and our oversized reaction to that. And so if I, if I make that point to somebody and say, look, I'm not making the numbers up. It's in, you're quoting that, that, that source right. in the paper. I know. I'm quoting that source too. I'm just quoting four paragraphs down. Yeah. And you're telling me that I'm wrong. And I'm telling you, don't be so afraid that you should be thanking me. Instead, the psychology kicks in yeah. and they double down, man. And they see, they see you're trying to kill me. You're trying to kill grandma and all that. Right. They get, they get stuff. triggered. Just, yeah. They get triggered. They yeah. get triggered. And, and, um, I mean, we've got to be better. I mean, as a, as a society, we've got to be better about not just accepting 
everything that our mainstream media tells us. Obviously, you and I aren't doing it. And your audience, if, if you're, your audience is listening to your shows, they're not, they're not right. They're not falling for this either. But so to us, it seems preposterous that anyone would ever believe the mainstream media. But just think back to when you did and I did and everyone else did. And there was a time and you, well, we didn't know. We just, yeah. we didn't know what we didn't know. It took me a long time to break away from that. Actually, I, I would, I was on a local uh, listserv, like email list where we'd argue about politics. And I, and I was always trying to use sources and they'd come out with their mainstream sources and I'd have alternative sources, but I did a lot of, comp- I mean, like months worth of comparing and contrasting the, uh, the mainstream source with the alternative source with these people online to try to get to the heart, like who, who has the best primary source material, you know? And that's when I it just, I mean, after doing that much work, it took, that's how much work it took for me to actually finally go, wow, you know, all, there'll be a hundred mainstream articles that come from one article from the New York times or the Washington post that sources an anonymous CIA agent. Yes. Right. And and then it's spread all far and wide, all over the news. Everybody thinks it's true. And then on the independent, you know, media side, I'm seeing, you know, primary source material, Freedom of Information Act requests, you know, actual peer-reviewed studies that are, you know, to back up their arguments. And it was like, I mean, it gets to the point where you realize that the mainstream media is not even doing real journalism. It's not real. They're not doing investigative journalism. They're writing copy because their editor told them they needed to come out with this narrative and their editor was told by the board of directors, you know, and it's just a, it's a hierarchy and everybody's just doing their job and they pump out a bunch of garbage and people, people like soak it in like osmosis, like you're talking about, even when, even in the same article, they they glob onto the scary part and they don't see that that part in paragraph four or whatever, you know, that part at the end that says, oh, it's actually only six percent. But, you know, still be scared. Everybody should yeah. still be scared. Well, well, when they'll, well, they'll do something like when Trump was the president, they'll say, oh, my God, can you believe Trump's Trump is going to do this, this and this? And you go, did you read the article? Did you read what it said? It said sources close to the president's thinking said this right right what does that mean that's not the president said this that's not the president did this that's not that's sources close to the president's thinking says this that is nothing that yeah. means a <laughs> right. writer made that up yeah uh sources close to the you know pentagon you know uh cia sources pentagon you know a source in the pentagon said you know uh, uh you right. know, and you go what source Unconfirmed report. I mean, it's it's all it's all nonsense. So yeah. when you dig into it, and and one thing that we, you know, as you go through this process of of dissecting what the media says and the way they say it, you start to get better and better and better at spotting those words. And they right. use language. They use little words that 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 you know what, like a lawyer, one word can make a huge difference. You, you have to have discipline to to kind of parse through the BS, and then you find yeah. that it's all BS. Right? Yeah. It's like wow. Right. They just it's just made a this de- up. It's, to what degree is it BS? You right. Know? Right. <laughs> Hold on. You know, and this is partial BS. But <laughs> but you can you you can get yourself so good at it that when you hear. You, you, if you watch the mainstream media, you, you, let's say you just you, you, you watch the news, the nightly news, to just to see what they're saying. You go, right. The way they the way they said that means 
nothing. You know, the sources close to the president's thinking said, this is a, you go, okay, well, that means nothing. What else do you have for me? I have FOIA requests, documents that I can show you. I have actual, I have this yeah. guy on video saying something totally different, but you're going to tell me that sources close to the president said, get out of here with that. That's nonsense. And, 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 but the alternative media gets attacked for being, you know, for not being an authentic source of information. Well, yeah. what, what is the Washington Post? They're an authentic source of information, and they've never met a war they didn't want us to be involved in, right? right? So, so forgive me if I'm not like bending over backwards to, to check what the Washington Post or the New York Times or, or, or Time Magazine, as an example. <laughs> you know, right. Time Magazine comes out, and they're, they're such a propaganda outfit that Richard Stengel, their former editor in chief was in the Obama White House and he jokingly said on a on a on a panel discussion at the at the CFR which is videotaped and you can watch it where he says you know in my my role in the Obama administration we jokingly called me the chief propagandist and I don't have a problem with propaganda I think it serves a role I think it's fine every country uses it and 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 we you know we use it too and you're yeah. going you're going you were the editor in chief of Time magazine you were in the Obama administration and you're the chief propagandist. So, so for everybody that says, oh, well, the mainstream media is not that dirty and everything. Look, you have the editor in chief admitting that he's a propagandist. What more on video? What more do you want? And, and, and you, you're still going to deny it and, and say that yeah. I'm a conspiracy theorist. Once again, not theory, <laughs> conspiracy analysis. Right. This is, this is, we, I don't have to make up what Richard Stengel said. He luckily said it on video. So, so you can, you can bring all these things together. You can lay out the case for people and they will still, it like breaks their brain to, not everybody, of course, but it's so, it's so tough to crack through because it's, 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 it's like, that guy has a shirt and tie on and he sits at a desk at ABC news. So it must be the truth. And it's like, man, yeah. that's all it takes to convince you. You're, you're pretty easy, you know? So, so as you know, we're, we can, we can, you know, take our shots at the media and the government and big pharma and all these institutions. And we should for sure. But it's also, we also need to, uh, take some responsibility for ourselves collectively as, yeah. as, as citizens and, and be better about this, about, about not blindly uh, just accepting what's sold to you by the government and these institutions. Dig into it. I understand thinking's hard, you know, it's tough, but, but it's, get past that and, and, and analyze this stuff and really read it and go, if it doesn't, if there's something about it that just doesn't sit well with you, well, you might be on the right track. And, and, and so I think it's, 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 a, it's imperative that we, as the population, uh, take more of a role in this, get, take a little bit more responsibility for our own education and, our, and, and standing up against the, the media and saying, no, 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 no. You guys are yeah. making this stuff up. You're lying about this like you always do. We've caught you again, and we're not listening to you anymore. And I think that, that you know, you've seen the memes that, that say the virus is, the tele, is, in, is, is in the media. And that is, that's really true. You know, you turn the mainstream media off, look out your window as, as Bill right. Hicks does. How, how many how many people do you know have gotten sick last year? Is it enough to scare you into lockdown? Uh, you know the answer. Oh no, is... I know I know three people that have been sick, uh, and and they one of them in my house in my house we didn't yeah. get it right. So so um, did it did it, no? I've been I've been sicker than they were. You know I mean this, nobody would have thought about locking themselves in the house without the TV telling before. them before. Right? <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly. You would have never, it would have never crossed your mind to, to do something like that. Now, now to be, to be fair, we were promised dead bodies. We were promised stacks of dead bodies along the sidewalk, you right. know, and we never got that. We, we saw the people fall down in China. We saw that. We saw that. We saw them welding door shuts. We saw them fumigating st- city streets. And we went, oh my God, right. is here? I don't want none of that. So that works to, to, to scare the hell out of us. Yeah. But, but after that, I never saw anyone fall down. I never saw that, like the Chinese guy that, I don't know if you saw the video, the guy on a bus who's just vomiting blood and you're like, oh, I don't want any of that. I never saw that. Uh, the death. And you got to ask yourself, where did that stuff come from, by the way? Like all of a sudden, all over YouTube is this really scary stuff, people dropping dead in the streets and like, but then it just went away. <laughs> I yeah. mean, so who, who produced that? I mean, that like, where did that come from? Yeah. So wild. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure whoever was planning the agenda said, yeah. "All right, it's time to stoke some fear. Let's show them what's what's going on in China. It's a place most people will never go to. Right. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll show we'll show them how China does it. You know how they deal with this lockdown situation. And uh, and 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 now it's you know it's like I described it before. Is like when it comes to the 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 narrative of a of a of a news story." It's a race to see who can be the first person on TV to tell you what's going on. And whatever they say first, that seems yeah. to get stuck in our head. You know, like the way the Olympic downhill skiers, you know, the first person down the slope, their time is number one. They're in first place. Well, we we can't crown anyone yet. We still have the rest of the skiers have to go and then we'll see how it all shakes out. But 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 that that first score is up there until someone else knocks that score down. And in the mainstream media, the first narrative, the rush to market to, to quickly get that out with 9-11. We saw that with Ehud Barak in the UK going on TV within minutes of it happening, saying, yeah. well, we think it was Osama bin Laden. Right. And we saw that with El Paul Bremer in the NBC News office the same morning, within minutes as well, selling the same story. A guy who you know, wound up being the the head of the Iraqi uh, re, uh, rebuilding program uh, years later. So, so you you got to establish the narrative right away, and and anchor that in in somebody's head, and then that's what people will take in into their lives, and they say, "Well, it's Osama bin Laden." Well, really, you figured that out in four minutes that it's yeah. Osama bin Laden. You didn't want to test anything. You didn't want to do any sort of invest. You just figured that all out. And we're supposed to go, oh, okay, I guess it's Osama bin Laden. Right. Never mind the fact that he had he could not have done it, did not do it, had nothing to do with it. But sure, let's just believe that some guy in a cave on dialysis uh, coordinated this event. It's it's you know, but but then again, it's a litmus test. If you'll believe that, what else will you believe? Well, you know, that's, believe, let's see how far we can take this. You know, that's so, just what's so amazing. If they pump it out on the mainstream media and everybody says it, then people believe it. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, yeah, so few like people said, are going to double check. When you take a source that may, writes one pay, one document and sends it out to all, syndicates it to all the media, then all the media starts talking about it. Yeah. It feels very real. Yeah. It feels like it's a hundred sources saying the same thing. Uh, maybe slight variations, but they're all saying the same thing. And you go, well, God, you know, if there's smoke, there's fire, right? So, so it's got to be at least partially true. No, you're assuming that you're making an assumption that any of it is true. It could be 100% false just because all of the networks are, are coordinated and are running that story on the nightly news 
tonight all saying the same, talking about the same thing. That doesn't, that is, that is not any indication that it's any more true just because they're all doing it. In fact, quite the conversely, it's, well, it's probably an indication that it's a lie. Yeah. If they're all coordinated. Once you, you know, see it again, once you can see it now, I know, Oh, everybody's talking about this today. Well, you know, I better find out what's going on because I know that what's going on isn't what everybody's talking about. Exactly. You know? Yeah. I, I don't know what it is, I mean, but I, I know just, what it isn't. I've just started to like perceive the psyops. Oh, they're rolling out another psyop about this. You know, we'll see how long they can make this go. Or, I mean, the Russiagate <laughs> was just oh. like, wow, you guys can talk about this forever. I mean, I looked into it for five minutes and found out that like, well, nobody really knows who hacked the DNC and where the emails came from or whatever. So, and they just Russia, Russia, Russia for another two, you know, year and a half. And it yeah. was like, but you don't know that you're making that up. You made that up at the beginning and you're continuing to make it up now. And they just turned it into a whole story. People arguing about it all day. You know, well, this is what I saw in the news last night. And this is what Rachel Maddow said. And it's like, yeah, yeah. well, go back to the original. Eventually, CrowdStrike admitted in court that they didn't know that the Russians did it. You know, and that was their initial source from the beginning. It was just it's just a classic. Like how yeah. they can they can turn any story into this huge deal and it's uh you know it's based on nothing it's like and, wow and also then <laughs> actually then, impressive it is yeah you have to actually kind of give them credit for it in, in, a, in a weird way yeah uh, the same thing is like you would you would say someone would say well if russiagate thing is is not true how come they were able to talk about it for three years and you go that's a good question yeah, they they were pot committed to it. They decided that was the, the story and they couldn't back off of it. So they doubled down and tripled down yeah. in the end. None of it was true. But 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 who but is Rachel Maddow still employed with MSNBC? I, she know, is. I know. Right. She's still making thirty thousand dollars well, a day doing that. So so, not, you know, people, yeah. so there's no repercussions. In fact, not only that. She got them great ratings by talking about that. So there's no punishment. In fact, if anything, she probably got a raise. Yeah. So so your your negative behavior in the media is positively reinforced right. by your bosses and paychecks and ratings and things like that. So you have this weird incentive incentivization uh, component that incentivizes you not for telling the truth, but for just getting better ratings. Yeah, than sensationalizing else. bullshit, basically. Exactly. <laughs> well, very cool. Thanks again for coming on the show. Do you want to let people know um, where they can find out more about your stuff? Yeah, you. My website is theoctopusofglobalcontrol.com. That's the name of the first book. People can find that there. Um, and my my podcast is called Macroaggressions. It's mm-hmm. available in video format on Rockfin and YouTube and odyssey and david ike's video platform iconic uh it's available in audio format wherever podcasts are served and um and you can follow me on twitter for as long as you well i make no representations that i will be there forever but at macroaggressions there i've been kicked off once so so it kind of comes with the territory but i uh i use it as i use them they're using me to gather information i'm using them to get the word out about my shows and things like that so it we have right. a mutually parasitic relationship, me and Twitter. <laughs> I hear that. And I'll just let people know that you've been listening to The Shift. I'm your host, Doug McKenty. Uh, I'm urging people to go to the website. It's www.theshiftnow.com. Uh, sign up for the newsletter and you can get all my uh, new stuff, everything I produce out of the studio. 
uh, at the weekly newsletter. But um, you can also find me on Facebook. My personal page has kind of taken off. So you can just find me at Doug McKenty. I do have a uh, The Shift with Doug McKenty page. And I'm also on Twitter at D McKenty. Uh, and on YouTube at the shift with Doug McKenty. And I'm also, I'm on a variety of other, I'm playing around with as many social media sites as I can, but it's hard to get one of them to take off, especially I've invested so much in Facebook, but like you probably, probably for a limited time only. <laughs> so um, again, pointing people to the website, theshiftnow.com. And thanks a lot for listening, everybody. What a great conversation. And thank you, Charlie, for coming on the show. Thanks, really Jeff, appreciate it. Thanks for your work. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen, my conversation with Charlie Robinson, episode number 77 of The Shift. Thanks for listening. Uh, I really enjoy these conversations with people that um, are just sort of big picture types because then we can just go off on our own uh, personal theories and ideas about what's really going on in the world. Uh, and it was great to, to be able to sit down with Charlie and have this conversation and kind of uh, describe our different ideas and uh, our different experiences in terms of dealing with how we learned about, uh, you know, th these alternative narratives and, and the rabbit holes that we went down. Uh, hearing his, his story, first of all, about being a realtor in 2007 and seeing the loans that they were just giving out like crazy to uh, anybody that wanted to buy a house here in Mendocino County, where we've got a lot of uh, cannabis farmers, there was a lot of cash floating around. We used to call them the drug dealer loans. Uh, and they would just give out loans to anybody that wanted to buy a house. Uh, and then, of course, 2008 happened. And, and having him be able to take his own personal experience and relate it to the John Perkins story from Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Um, and I think uh, if you want to check out my interview with John Perkins, it's uh, one of the Thursday morning reports on the website. Uh, at theshiftnow.com under uh, the free content tab. You can find the Thursday morning reports and, and uh, my discussion with John Perkins is there because that uh, was a real eye-opener for me. The very same way that they're treating countries internationally, the way the IMF um, kind of creates this system of, of loan sharking essentially where they give out loans to other countries and they know that they're not going to be able to pay them back. And when they can't pay them back, then those very same banks can come in take all those resources, give them to the corporations of their choice, and basically take over economically uh, any country on the national level through the International Monetary Fund. Um, to, to hear the way Charlie's personal experience as a realtor in Las Vegas was essentially doing the same thing to individuals like you and I who are trying to purchase a home, uh, only to have the market crash, everybody loses their homes, and the banks make out like bandits with all the actual resources. And of course, then you go down the rabbit hole, you realize they're just printing money when they make the loans, no skin off their back, but when you can't make the money to pay off the loan, they get your actual stuff, right? <laughs> they get the actual resource uh, as collateral for their loan that they just gave out and made the money out of thin air. Uh, so that was the first rabbit hole that Charlie went down and it really opened his eyes to... Uh, what was going on and eventually led to the writing of this book, The Octopus of Global Control. Um, very interesting, and I recommend it to anyone. If you're new to the concept of conspiracy theory, Charlie really hits all the basics 
and so it's a great book for those people who are just wanting to get involved. Maybe you've heard a little bit JFK, you know, a little bit 9-11. Uh, but he goes in depth into all the Boston bombing, the false flags, the, the variety of different events that you've heard about in the mainstream media, but what the alternative media has been uncovering that doesn't get covered by the mainstream. He goes step by step into, you know, a hundred or more different particular events. And he includes the quotes by the people who are involved that expose that there was something else that was happening behind the scenes. And oftentimes these guys actually will tell you what they're up to if you read their their white papers or if you listen to their quotes. And that's where Charlie goes straight to the horse's mouth. And he has them tell you what's happening. And that's... Uh, one of the most fascinating things about delving into this quote-unquote alternative research is that you find that they tell us what they're doing. I mean, all you have to do right now is go on the World Economic Forum website, check out the Great Reset, and they'll tell you, here's what's coming, here's what we're doing, here's the plan that we're implementing, this is what life is going to be like in five to ten years. Uh, you people enjoy, you know. <laughs> we're not going to have a vote on it. It's not going to go through any democracy, and there's going to be no debate, just like there was no debate about the lockdowns and no debate about the emergency status when it comes to COVID and no debates about uh, how we were going to deal with, with COVID, uh, except for the lockdowns, except for the social distancing, except for the mask wearing that was shoved down our throats uh, without any active debate. Uh, on the side of the multitude of experts that we know disagree uh, with what the government chose. And then uh, what I really enjoyed as well is the conversation that we started having about the psychology, because I think it's so important, as you all know, I'm producing uh, the Psychology of Lockdown series. We're, we're trying to figure out here why it is that our point of view, despite the fact that it's backed by experts, that it's backed by science, uh, Charlie mentioned you know, he brings up the CDC to people. We're quoting from the CDC website. They won't listen to it. Uh, it's so frustrating. And so now the scene seems to be starting to actually be delving into this psychological aspect to it. Why is it that people uh, are so easily convinced that what the authority says is the correct way forward? Uh, and not it's not a red flag to people that alternative perspectives are censored. You know, <laughs> like if your idea is a good idea, then you should be willing to debate it. We, we should be able to have these, these uh, talks, open discussions on mainstream media outlets where, you know, we, we debate back and forth and then the legislature votes on how to deal with certain situations. And uh, certainly over the last year, uh, that has not been happening. We've had, boom, state of emergency. Oh, you know, uh, why is it a state of emergency? Well, the World Health Organization just changed the definition of a pandemic to make it any time some new disease kind of pops up. So now they called a pandemic. Now we can call a state of emergency. And there goes your, your right of free speech and your right of freedom of assembly and your right to worship. But no worries, uh, you know. <laughs> And we won't have a conversation about it because what the government says is always right. So <clears throat> it's just fascinating to see that that state of affairs doesn't raise a red flag for people to go, wait a minute. I mean, even in Star Wars, right? Oh, yeah, this is how it works. The dark side takes over. They manufacture a state of emergency, then they call the state of emergency, and then their solution is the emperor has to take over. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's happened here in California for sure. I'm sure the people who live in the state of New York are feeling the same way. But what's most fascinating to me is to see how many people are falling in line. 
Uh, and they're just, they're doing, not only are they doing what they're told, but they're policing the other members of the community. And this is what becomes so dangerous about it. And this is uh, probably the most important part of the conversation that I just had with Charlie, where we were really delving into why is it that so many people are self-policing, uh, working for the upper classes to help build this prison that the upper classes are, are, are creating for us using the, uh, you know, the Great Reset template. Um, building this this 5G technocratic uh, control grid, and everyone's simply going along with it. Not only are they going along with it, but they're helping the upper classes put down those parts of society that are trying to say, hey, wait a minute, you know, what's going on here? Uh, maybe we should think twice. Maybe we should have an open and honest debate about this. Maybe the people who disagree with this are onto something and we should be having conversations and we should be utilizing a democratic process to make these choices. Uh, so strange that uh, so few people actually in this day and age uh, don't see these huge red flags as the corporate system is, is taking over, much like during the 2008 crisis where they fabricate the money, give the loan. When you can't pay the loan, they take the actual resource. Well, here you go. Oh, it's a pandemic. Got a lockdown. Now you can't pay your loan. We'll take your resource. Uh, and you see the billionaire class, of course. I think they've uh, at least doubled uh, their total net worth during the crisis while hundreds of thousands of small and medium-sized businesses have gone under. And no discussion of this on the mainstream media. No discussion of, of how to build a healthy immune system. The only solution is straight to the ventilator, uh, the most expensive antiviral drug remdesivir, uh, or then wait for the vaccine. There's nothing else you can do, even though clearly science has provided multiple other treatment protocols that have been working just fine. Uh, so, so frustrating and uh, so, uh, so... Um, it was so nice to have that conversation with Charlie Robinson uh, because we could just banter back and forth about our feelings about these things and, and really let loose. Uh, and uh, it, it helps you feel like you're not quite so isolated, right? <laughs> so I hope it made you feel the same way. Uh, I want to let you all know that you can find out more about Charlie's work and uh, check out his podcast, Macroaggressions. It's also really informative uh, at www.theoctopusofglobalcontrol.com. He's got all of his books. Uh, I may have Charlie back on in uh, the next, uh, oh, probably month or six weeks. If I can't get Jeff Berwick, I'll get him on to talk about uh, the collapse of the American Empire, that the plant, planned demolition of the American Empire, that is uh, the second book that he produced. So, uh, and I want to help them plug that one too, because it is important that people kind of understand exactly what's going on and what's been going on. We can take all that information from the octopus of global control and we can really update it for what's, uh, what's been happening here to us all here in the last year. Uh, and then, you know, put all the pieces of the puzzle together so, uh, we can inform y'all as to how it works as this great globalist plan is moving forward. Uh, with no debate and no democratic process, of course. Uh, and if you want to find out more about The Shift, you can find uh, all of my stuff. I've got hours of free content, hundreds of interviews now, uh, multiple programs that I'm producing uh, behind the line for The Line Canada, the Psychology of Lockdown series, as well as The Shift. And I'm hoping to start a new series with Jason Bosch called uh, the Crypto and Technocracy series, where we can hash out some of the differences between uh, various groups among the scenes that are so you know concerned about blockchain and its value uh, 
uh, are cryptocurrencies uh, a savior or uh, do they just um, help promote this this, uh, technocratic agenda moving forward? Is it just a way to kind of sucker all of us into uh, participating in the cashless society? So that'll be an interesting show. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, And of course, you can get uh, all the episodes of The Shift at www.theshiftnow.com and at least sign up for the newsletter. That way I'll get you all the new stuff that I got coming out. And uh, think about subscribing to the show for six bucks a month to get the full length feature length episodes of every interview. So uh, thanks again, everybody, for listening. Uh, We'll keep it rolling. I'll be back again next week. And uh, you all take care. Have a good one. Hope you enjoyed this one. And we'll talk again soon.